never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Hi guys, welcome back to Neff Inspiration, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today's another fantastic day for an interview. And I've had many, many, many different guests on my show who all had their monikers and their certain ways of introducing themselves. And I often ask my my guests, uh, do you have any funny, funny way how to describe yourself um, when you when you meet someone in a in a boring get together? And so and many people struggle. Uh, not with my guest today, Alex Salkin. Alex, straightforward went for the Hebrew hammer. When I saw that, I knew I needed to get this guy on my show. <laughs> so here, without further ado, the Hebrew hammer, Alex Salkin, welcome to my show. Danke <laughs> schön. Ah, bitte schön. The Hebrew hammer. What a what a beautiful, beautiful label. That sounds like sort of a WWE kind of uh, uh, label. You, you, I expect you to come in with with uh, fanfare and <laughs> but like a mask on. That's right. That's like exactly that, yeah. the cape flowing. <laughs> I yeah. love it. I love it. Uh, but that is that is something that a name that you truly have deserved. Um, uh, knowing about you and having read about your achievements and you, about your passion that you bring nowadays towards towards creating strong bodies that therefore can be resilient and can be uh, giving humans the best possible chance to survive in an ever uh, crazier world uh, is is just that is your passion. But you didn't start out like that, did you? Not even close. No. <laughs> Tell us a bit about the 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 little boy before the Hebrew hammer. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess if there were a word for like a little hammer, uh, I could call myself that like somewhat anachronistically, you know, <laughs> um, you know, I was always interested in fitness and like physical expression. But like with anything, you know, some things just come more naturally to some people than than others, you know, like mm. if you're a big kid, it's probably you're going to be better off at maybe rugby mm. or in a, in the US, you know, like American football and uh, maybe wrestling, things like that. But I was kind of like puny, scrawny, uncoordinated. Uh, but I always had this belief that I could that I could somehow overcome it and that I could somehow get better. It was never in my head that it just couldn't be done. You know, a lot of people think about like, oh, I'm just not a natural at this. So why even try? I should just do the things that come naturally to me. I always, I, you know, I really loved like uh, Batman, for instance, uh -huh. and the X-Men and these other like larger than life heroic figures. And um, like every kid, I saw that and I wanted to emulate it. And so as a, as a, as a youth, uh, you know, one of the things that I had going for me was that my, my mom was a gymnast when she was younger. And so she uh -huh. put me in gymnastics classes as well. So I got some of my, uh, some of my energy out through gymnastics and I was able to channel that. Now I never competed. It was just more like a, you know, a hobby that I would, that I would do. Um, but, you know, when it came to stuff like the majority of the physical activity that you do as a kid in terms of like the social aspect of it, it's usually in school or playing with your friends and stuff like that. And in school in particular, it was like, you know, I was never picked dead last for the group sports, but it was usually in the the final couple of choices they would they would pick me because they they needed like the least worst unathletic kid to put on their on their teams. And so. Um, you know, there were some things that I would think I was a little bit better at some things not so great. 
but uh, but group sports, I was never really very good at. Again, I was always kind of awkward and uncoordinated. Um, and it was it was basically like that all throughout my public school education. Like I remember, um, oddly enough, in high school, about the only thing that I was only two things that I was really good at in high school gym class was uh, badminton, which I mean, I could like that was one of the things again, I was I just had a natural ability for it and have no clue why but like I could smoke people with that like I could go two on one, like me with a badminton racket, like two other people on the other side of the net and like I could keep up with them and you know not and not miss a beat. Now, I I thought, well, who cares? It's a gym class sport never really seemed like the sort of a thing to try to get good at. I had no idea that it was an Olympic sport. You know, had I known, maybe <laughs> right now you would be interviewing an Olympic gold medalist and instead of you know, touche, touche. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, or maybe bronze. Let's be honest. I mean, who knows? But, <laughs> but uh, that it was that. And then there was this other made up sport that we played called mat ball, which was kind of like baseball, except for that once you got to the, there was, you didn't get to home base. You just ran around. There were like, to explain the rules is, is strange, but it's basically like you didn't have to run off the base once somebody else got there. You could wait there and then, you know, just use your opportunity to run around. I was pretty good at that. Sucked at everything else. Uh, the, the peak of that, I remember we did uh, high school and we, we had weightlifting class in high school, not Olympic weightlifting, but just, you know, lifting, lifting weights, strength training, let's say. And I remember uh, I had a, I got paired up with like one of the most athletic students in the entire, not just the entire class, like the entire school. I think he might've been like a, a quarterback or he was on the football team for sure. I mean, just natural athlete, tall, blonde, you know, uh, just like, you know, handsome dude, like all the gals love this guy. And then there was like me, I was scrawny and uncoordinated. And, you know, I wasn't really sure how you do this, that, well, we were bench pressing. And I remember this, my, he was supposed to be my spotter, meaning wait, you know, he would hold onto the weight uh, in case I needed it. Or if I needed help, he would assist, you know, for the bench press. And evidently there was so little weight on the bar in his mind that there was no need to spot me. So whereas for me, it was too much. So I, you know, I ended up doing the bench press. I got stuck. I looked over and he was talking to one of his friends over by the dumbbell rack. And I was like, Oh, I, I didn't want to bother him. So I just kind of rolled it down, you know, onto my hips and sat up and then put it on the ground. And as I was putting it on the ground, our giant and terrifying gym teacher, Mr. Chavez yelled at this dude and was like, you're supposed to be spotting him. What are you doing? And everybody turned to like, look over at us. And, you know, they saw this, you know, this giant blonde, you know, athlete. And then this like scrawny little old me. And he was really embarrassed. I mean, his face was red. He mumbled some sort of swear words under his breath at the at the teacher. But uh, but I felt like I was the one who was the most ashamed because I was like, I don't know how. I mean, I, he put it this way. I mean, he picked the bar up and put it back on the weight bench. You know, I couldn't even I lower it to my chest and lift it off. So he he had no problem with whatever the weight was on there. So, um, I again, I don't know how much weight was there, but I would imagine it was like the equivalent of a broomstick with a bagel on each end. You know, it was, it was quite, quite small by, by most standards. So that was basically my origin story. I was, there was nothing natural about me. I, other than that, I had a, like a natural love for wanting to overcome what I saw as being like, you know, um, no real talent in terms of strength and, and physical ability and things like that. So uh, as time went on, I, I, you know, it wasn't always easy to find good information. And I would say it, it to a great degree, that's still the case. In fact, in some sense, it's even harder now because 
you've got it's a, it's not just a needle in a haystack it's a needle in a ton of haystacks there's just so much more information out there now mm-hmm. some of it is very good to be honest with you um it some of it is very not good and so it it's difficult to be able to separate those things if you don't have a, like a let's say an understanding of exactly what it is that number one that you want that you need and that you're capable of doing and so as time went on, I was able to kind of sift my way through it, at least for myself. And I found other activities that I I maybe wasn't very good at, but I enjoyed. Like I started doing martial arts. I really fell in love with that. And then eventually I was introduced to the kettlebell. And the kettlebell, for anybody who's not familiar, is like a big iron ball with sort of like a tea kettle-like handle on it. And it is it has a very, very long history, but the traditional explanation of it is that it kind of came into its own in uh, Russia in uh, around the 16 and 1700s. So it's very, they used to use them, actually Russian farmers would use them as uh, weights, like in the marketplace to weigh grain and other, you know, large quantity goods. And then during during the off time, they'd get bored. So they would swing them around and they would lift them and they would do all this other stuff. And it became like an activity that became a very fun sport for, uh, for people in Russia and then the Russian empire in general. And it was also common, believe it or not, in Germany, the Germans mm. had a really, really mm. uh, very well-developed uh, system of juggling kettlebells where they would, you know, they would swing them and then all these different, like, you know, incredible uh, feats of of like acrobatic strength with with the dumbbells. Um, or not dumbbells, rather, the, uh, the kettlebells. kettlebells. Yes, exactly. And in the United States, uh, you could find kettlebells and uh, they just sort of started to disappear I think around, and this is maybe a bit of an assumption, but let's say like post uh, around World War II area, post World War II, at least in the United States, it was kind of like fitness, wherever people sought it out, you know, was more focused on stuff like machines and other things like that. And so, Mm. whereas before anybody who was interested in strength training was lifting free weights and, and things like that. And I think the rise of the health club Mm. was one of the things that sort of precipitated the fall of kettlebells. And it wasn't until, a guy named Pavel Tsatsulin, who is, uh, he was a Spetsnaz physical training instructor in Russia, who moved to the United States in the mid 90s, started writing and teaching about how to lift mm-hmm. kettlebells. My friend Drew in my in my college Spanish class was obsessed with this guy and obsessed with kettlebells. And he got me obsessed. And so that was really the true origin of when I went from being merely the mild mannered Alex Salkin to the the caped crusader known as the Hebrew hammer that we now know. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, and and there's sometimes these kind of, of accidental things that happen in your life, which suddenly open, opens your eyes to, to something uh, quite amazing that actually fits your body and more your passion so much more because something needs to to give you joy at the moment you just turn it oh i have to work out and uh then at the moment you've got that attitude it is really really hard to maintain things yeah it's okay to to overcome yourself once or twice okay i'll do it and you might even feel a bit good for it but if there's no joy out of it or if there are actually as many negative emotions as there are positive emotions guess what two weeks later you have stopped doing it. yeah but it's quite intriguing there um to to see you i've seen your physique on on pictures um you are you're clearly not a big buff kind of dude um but you have got that kind of 
tenacious builds that kind of I could go forever. Um, how many thousand of these kettlebell repetitions would you like me to show you? Um, sure. it's, and but that is that is again you are playing to your strengths here. Um, for the viewers and listeners, we have got different muscle fibers and different compositions in our in our muscles. Um, so some people will naturally have a lot of really powerful uh, muscle there, and you can lift weights that others only ever dream about even after years of training and you do it naturally vice versa if you if i imagine myself running a marathon hell no my muscles would be screaming they would be saying after 10ks you 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 could be joking me so yeah there's we all have got our strengths and we all have got our genetic makeup so when your parents say, oh, you can become everything you ever wanted. Yeah, that's actually a bit of bullshit. Um, having said that, you can do a hell of a lot with your body. And most of us don't know how to do it. And you're yeah. so right when it comes to to looking at the internet. There's so much bullshit out there. My, oh, my. Um, so it's intriguing. Um, you were... Uh, you you call yourself the Hebrew hammer. So, uh, and I know you lived in Israel at some stage. Um, mm -hmm. That uh, from when to when did you to, uh, did you grow up in Israel? Well, uh, I grew up. Uh, I was born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska, mm -hmm. and uh, up until about the age twenty six. Right. And then in uh, two thousand thirteen, I moved to Israel and became a citizen. And I lived there until November of 2017. And uh, as of the time of uh, this chat, I'm in the final stages of moving back. I moved right. back to the United States because I had uh, an opportunity here uh, to work with a friend and on, uh, collaborate on some projects and, and mm. uh, things of that nature. And so I thought, you know what, I, I should come back. Now, I moved to Pennsylvania at that time. So I, was, I lived in Pennsylvania for a little over a year and a half. And then he moved away. Like I had kind of gotten a good, uh, I was on a roll with the the stuff that he had helped me with and, yeah. and the projects that we had worked on. So when he moved his family to Wisconsin, I was like, well, I don't really want to stay in Pennsylvania. It's a nice state, but it's just, I don't really feel all that connected here. So I moved back to Omaha and I've been here uh, since 2019, but I've been itching to once mm. again, uh, move back to uh, to Israel. So that's the plan mm. to do Every that uh, just as soon as I can. No, no, the reason I was asking, to, um, there are certain parallels there that I can see already uh, occurring because uh, Israel is such a melting pot of of nations and it had a very strong Eastern European influence. Um, a, a lot of Eastern European Jews um, uh, before, during and after the Second World War basically uh, fled to Israel and made that their home. So obviously there you have got that Russian influence of the, the kettlebell. Um, equally, the, 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 I'm not surprised to hear that the um, that the kettlebell had some following in America because many of the Germans uh, emigrated to the United States. At one mm -hmm. stage, the United States, 10% uh, of the population had German ancestry. So there are certain things there. Um, I'm intrigued about the uh, about your badminton um, because that's obviously endurance, short, sharp exercises. Yeah. And when you were saying um, when you were saying your martial art experience, I was waiting for the Krav Maga to come out, um, which was equally sort of from the, from the 30s, uh, a no nonsense uh, creation um, of a uh, Czech uh, Jew 
who uh, who created this superb system. And I can just imagine the same techniques that you use with your badminton uh, uh, racket that you do the same with a nice stick um, and someone's head. A lot of head. backhanding, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but here you are. It is... It just shows how much actually uh, there are so many different ways that we can be active in our life. And I think that's the key thing. Um, you think, oh, my God, I can't. I mean, it takes me now 20 minutes to get changed, drive to the gym, um, do the gym where I really don't want to be uh, in the latex, spandex, whatever crowd. Um, and nah, that's too much. I better don't do anything. And that's really yeah. bullshit because you and I know that actually it, you don't need to have hours and hours and hours on treadmills or machines to be right. What is your take on, on someone who says, Hey, look, I, I look, I just don't have the time. I think I would say, uh, you're right. You don't have the time, but it's because the, your day is, well, two things. Number one, your day is, oriented around the stuff that's of the highest priority. And maybe you're not very good at organizing your time to fit things in that are good for you. So you're yeah. allowing other people to determine what you do with your time, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, if you if you're employed by somebody else, that's just kind of part and parcel of the gig. It's like mm -hmm. they tell you when you need to be at work and when you can leave. So there's in some sense, there's no way around it. But the real issue that people have is that they have a mistaken notion that in order to be fit, they need a lot of time, they mm -hmm. need a gym membership, they need, uh, they need to be able to, to invest, uh, you know, let's say a certain amount of time every day, and it's usually upwards of maybe 45 to 60 mm -hmm. minutes or something like that, and they need to have the right equipment. Mm -hmm. And what I try to get people to understand is that, first of all, if you're doing zero right now, then any number greater than zero is already a step <laughs> above. I love that. And, and, and a lot of people think, oh, okay, but, you know, five minutes, can I really get a lot done in five minutes? Well, it, you know, many of them are thinking about it in terms of, let's say, uh, cardio equipment. So naturally, if you're mostly used to walking on a treadmill mm -hmm. or riding on a recumbent bike, which is great exercise, there's certainly nothing wrong with it. Uh, but if that's if that's what you primarily associate with fitness, then more than likely you, you're going to be like, yeah, okay, five minutes just doesn't seem like a lot, and it's true because that level that type of exercise, which we would call, I mean, it's cardio exercise, but if we're being more specific, generally the goal is what's called zone two cardio. So you have different zones depending on the intensity level of the cardio. Mm -hmm. um, and what I would what I would encourage people to do is find things that are going to allow them to get a lot more quality work done in a shorter amount of time. Mm -hmm. So a great example of this is actually a friend of mine from high school, a guy named Andy, uh, invited me over to his house once and we were hanging out and, you know, having dinner. And he said, yeah, you know what? I got back from my doctor like a couple of weeks ago and he said my, you know, my cholesterol levels were really bad and this, that, and the other thing. And he said, you need, and my doctor said, you need to exercise more. So, you know, I want to, I want to get your opinion. I'm thinking I, I want to start working out like 20 minutes a day. And uh, I said, okay, are you going to do that? He said, I, I think so. And I said, okay, well, how about this? There's no reason you couldn't work out 20 minutes a day. But if you're going from zero to 20, that's a lot bigger leap than like zero to five. And he's like, yeah. So I said, what if you just made it? Let's do this. Let's make a distinction. Let's say you're going to commit to five minutes a day. And once the five minutes is up, you can do anything else you want. 
you know, you can keep going. If you're feeling pretty good, you really feel like you're on a roll, but you can also stop with an easy heart because you've completed your commitment. So your goal might be 20 minutes, but your commitment, no matter what, no matter how long your day was, no matter how busy you are, you're going to carve out five minutes that belong to you and only you, not anybody else. And you're going to, and you're going to exercise and let's come up with some exercises that you can do without fail. So you, I gave him some calisthenic things like here's some pushups. Uh, you know, you could do like hip thrusts, which is just, you put your upper back on, you know, on a couch or something like that. And your feet are on the floor and you kind of lift your hips up into the air. Very good for your derriere. You know, if you sit all day, it's a very good way to make sure that those important muscles are getting, are getting trained. It's also very nice for your back because that provides some good support for the low back, uh, lunges, you could do leg raises, you could do crawling, you could, you know, you could do all sorts of different things. Um, you don't have to pick just one thing, whatever you feel like doing, that's what you can do. And he, so he said, okay, I'll do it. And he did that. It was like, you know, I, I think I told him do it at least, you know, five, six days a week. You don't have to do it seven days a week by any means. But uh, next time I saw him, I remember winning to give him a hug and he was noticeably more muscular, you know, I mean, he wasn't like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, he didn't go from, you know, being like, uh, roughly my size to, you know, some 250 pound hulking bodybuilder, but, but it was noticeable. And uh, that is what he applied. And what was very interesting too, is that <laughs> the lessons that he learned from that, he was able to use with the people he worked with, because he, he works as a counselor and uh, like a career counselor for, yeah. you know, for people who are in, in, in need. And um, he would, he would use that same idea of just five minutes to get people focused, not on the future as they most often are like yeah. with what we would call like an outcome-based goal, which would be like in three months, I want to have lost 15 uh -huh. pounds, you know, but instead a process goal every day, I'm going to do this. And then what happens is you do that long enough and it's just, let's see what happens. You know, like you don't have any specific outcome in mind, but you, but there's going to be an outcome. You yeah. just, but the only thing that you can control is what you do in this particular day, you have no control whatsoever on the outcome. If you lose 15 pounds or, or let's say, let's say you get, you know, four, uh, three months down the line, you use 14 pounds versus 17 pounds instead of just 15. In many ways, it's much more stressful to focus only on the outcome. It's not to say Nothing. that there's no point to it, but my big thing with people is I try to get them to understand that training is a process and that they're going to enjoy it a lot more if they find something that they actually like that is convenient, that matches with something that's within their ability to do, and that they really enjoy doing. You know, I love, you know, strength training, obviously. I I think people should do it even if they don't care that much about it. They should at least do a little bit. Uh, but more than anything, you got to find something that you enjoy, something that mm -hmm. you can do repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And you have to, this is what really throws people, but I'd say it every time, you have to lower your expectations. And and lower it, not because you can't yeah. achieve more, but because most people try to bite off more than they can chew, uh -huh. and then they quit, and then they think, maybe I'm just not cut out for this fitness business. But if you can do 30 days, five minutes of exercise a day, and never miss a day, or only miss a couple, you will notice a huge difference. And you'll see the value of just not only that five minutes, but your time in general and what you choose to channel your energy toward. So yeah, I'm, I personally don't train it. I, I do martial arts stuff even now, like at a gym, but I, I don't rely on it for my fitness. It's, I rely on it for trying to learn a skill that I just, I'm not going to be able to learn at home. So I have to go, you know, work with the trainer. Hmm. Uh, but when it comes to fitness, there are so many options for training at home that most people 
uh, really just aren't aware of or they're not aware of their efficacy. And so I try to raise awareness for that so that I can uh, help them to understand that they don't, that a lot of the things that they think are barriers in their way are not, are not even in their way at all. Correct. Oh, sometimes we just want to find a reason why we don't want to do it. And that is sort of the, the inner Schweinehund, the inner bastard who is, uh, yeah, <laughs> who is, who is, uh, in German, it, it, it's more strong. It is more, uh, um, you, you, you call someone who you really don't like, who betrays you, um, you call them Schweinehund and, and that's the, the problem we have got that procrastinator we have got that that person sitting uh, uh in within us um who yeah. gives us not the greatest advice certainly but i certainly want to come back to 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 some of the data around what you have been saying because so far it could only be your opinion having said that there are actually very good studies out there to to emphasize the importance of straight of weight training um there is um a, sort of a follow up study on on 21000 uh people was sort of looking at the amount of cardiovascular exercise you need to do versus uh strength training that you need to do and especially when you're sort of getting a little bit older um and what is actually more efficacious now in with regards to your cardiovascular health both of them are very good if you do about two and a half hours uh, a week um then both of them will will give you results having said mm -hmm. that if you can't put two and a half hours in uh, a week if you actually can only do you know half an hour here half an hour there maybe then strength strength training is clearly superior compared with aerobic exercise so yes, therefore sir. if you wanted to start with something then it would be strength training and i love it what you're saying alex that you don't need to have huge weights and now get yourself racks of i don't know 500 kilogram of different weights um so that you can start working out your body is a very very beautiful uh beautiful system of levers and of weights of um it's all you are your own gym no two ways around it um the, the kettlebell in its own right it, it is making a little bit of a comeback uh certainly looked around after i read you up i sort of went to one of our sports shops and there were some kettlebells around there and some kettlebells that you can find with with a sort of cloth and and can fill yourself or have different weights inside yeah. um what are sort of the weights that you would uh, uh, ask someone to start with? What are sort of how do you how do you do, you know? I mean, there are people who who say, "Well, okay, I give it a shot," um, and they're standing now in the shop. What should they buy? Yeah, it's a very good question. the 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 big thing for people to keep in mind when they are starting to train with kettlebells is that it's different from what most people are going to be used to in terms of free weights in general. So for me, for instance, the first time I ever shook hands or shook handles with a kettlebell uh, was in like late March or early April of 2008. And my friend Drew was showing me this is a kettlebell, so on and so forth. And I picked it up and I curled it, you know, <laughs> and um, which I mean, you could do it's just it's not that's not it's like, that's not the thing that it, it's optimized for or that it does best, but you can certainly do that. And he's like, no, 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 you, you got to learn how to really use a kettlebell. And so what I found so enchanting about it, and this is what a lot of people find enchanting about it, is that it involves a lot of what are called compound movements. So for people who are maybe not super familiar with strength training in general, we can, we can, in a general sense, this is not, you know, like, uh, end all be all uh, 
categorization of these movements, but it's it's one useful way of looking at them. You can look at movements in terms of compound, which means they involve multiple muscle groups and multiple joints and they you know cross multiple joints. And then you have isolation, which are typically more focused on just, let's say, one muscle group or mm-hmm. or just you know uh, oriented around the movement of just one joint. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is argument as to how truly isolated a movement is going to be, but in my opinion, mm-hmm. it's just semantics. I'll give you an example, like curls. Uh, I would consider it an isolation exercise because the primary purpose is just to strengthen the bicep, but technically it's also crossing uh, the movement. You have to grab it in your hand, so it's crossing mm-hmm. also the the that. wrist so the forearm flexors are involved and mm-hmm. you know but i th- again i think it's a semantics game most people are most familiar with ice the uh isolation exercises because that is very common in bodybuilding which is because the purpose of bodybuilding is to really try to focus on developing the muscles uh, like to pinpoint them specifically whereas with mm-hmm. compound movements the goal is to lift using multiple muscle groups and multiple across multiple joints so that you can get a lot stronger in a shorter amount of time without necessarily needing as many exercises or even as much time because you're getting a lot more work done. You're working a lot more muscle in a very short amount of time. So the reason I preface it with this is because a lot of people, when I tell them how much they should start with, they're like, whoa, that seems way too heavy. But when you realize that you're going to learn how to get your whole body to move it, it actually you're going to find, okay, I like I'm getting the hang of this. This is a little easier than I thought it would be. So for gentlemen, we would normally say start with a 16 kilogram kettlebell, or if you're an American listening in, that would be 35 pounds. And for the ladies, we you would usually say start with like a 12 kilogram kettlebell or about 26 pounds. Um, and the reason for that is because generally speaking, the first exercise that you're going to work toward learning in the world of kettlebell training is what's called a swing. And the swing is a movement that involves uh, the backward motion of the hips. So if you imagine, like, just think now, think back to your childhood when you would like to run and jump and you try to jump as far as you could and see if you could jump farther than your friends. The movement of moving your hips back, like you're getting ready to jump, like you're going to try to jump three meters or something along those lines. That is sort of the, uh, the hip movement that we use for the swing. So it's a very athletic movement involving a lot of very quick movement from the hips. Mm. And so that, these the hips and all the muscles around them are very strong muscles. And this is a very great movement for not just strength, but also for conditioning mm-hmm. and a wide variety of, of other things. And so you can handle a pretty decent amount of weight. So uh, 16 kilograms for men is usually pretty good, 12 kilograms for ladies. And it's very easy to move up for the most part once you've gotten that down. And, but there are other movements too where it might make sense to have a, a one lighter kettlebell. So depending mm-hmm. on, again, and we're speaking on, on average here, the gentleman might also make uh, get benefit from a 12 kilogram kettlebell mm. for things like military presses and, and other upper body movements. And a lady might uh, get benefit from like an eight kilogram kettlebell for the same purpose. Now, if you have, let's say, a, a ba- really strong background of strength training in the gym, well, then I would just say bump it up, you know, a size or two. So maybe, you know, the gentleman might use like a 20 or a 24 kilogram kettlebell, which corresponds mm. to about 44 to 53 pounds. Ladies might instead start with a 16 kilogram bell or the 20 kilogram mm. bell. Mm. Again, just depending on on their familiarity with a lot of the movement patterns they're using. Mm. But if we're going to assume that people are, you know, maybe they're familiar with cardio, maybe they've lifted some weights, but you know, there are no, mm. uh, there are no great shakes in the strength training department. 
16 to uh, 12 to 16 kilos for ladies and gentlemen is usually the best place to start. And you can get by for a very long time with just one bell. Very interesting. Very interesting. And I think the, the key thing to that is also that you have got centrifugal forces. So it's not just a, a straight line that you actually move that, but you're actually, there is a lot of uh, extra forces coming to play that are adding or at times possibly even multiplying um, the, the weight or the effect of the weight on the body. So exactly. Interesting. Um, the, what is your take with regards to timing? Do you go just in normal repetitions? Um, or do you actually go to failure? How do you work with with people? Where how much should they do? Yeah, this is another very good question. Because a lot of times, in fact, mo in most cases, a lot of the people that I, not as much anymore, actually, because people I think are a little bit more acclimated to some of these ideas. But when I started, teaching people, I would say, okay, I want you to stop with a couple reps still in the tank, meaning you have the ability, if you wanted to keep going, you could maybe do three to five more reps. And most people were like, well, why would I stop then if I could just do more? But it's like, imagine treating your bank account like that. Well, why stop spending money? I've got still, there's, there's still money in the bank account, you know? Well, yeah, but <laughs> that might work if you're, you know, you're trying to go bankrupt. But um, the fact is for training to failure, actually is very valuable if the goal is to build muscle and specifically to build muscle. Whereas if your goal is just to build strength and muscle is like a secondary or a tertiary goal, meaning it's not your primary focus, then what you want to do is you want to lift weights that are, let's say beneath what you could lift if you were to go all out or repetitions that are below what you could do if you could go all out. So maybe you might pick a kettlebell that you could press over your head 10 times but you're only going to do maybe three to five reps with it because your goal is you want to get better at it so that your body adapts and says, okay, this isn't so hard. So, you know, you're going to get more efficient at it. Hmm. And next thing you know, what you started off doing only 10 reps with now, maybe now you can do 15. And so now hmm. you can go up to a slightly heavier weight and then, you know, find whatever you could do for that eight to 10 reps. And again, hmm. you would only lift from maybe three to five. That's a very good way of getting a lot stronger because your focus with uh, in building strength is improving your skill at certain movements. Hmm. Whereas with uh, building muscle, there's a, there's definitely a skill component to it, but the, the primary driver of building muscle is what's called mechanical tension or actual tension on the muscles. So the best way to do that and the uh, the best way to get as many of the muscle fibers working as possible is to get as close to failure as possible mm. uh, or all the way to failure. There's something mm. to be said about stopping a little bit short of failure, even if muscle building is your goal, mm. because once you get to true failure or uh, essentially the fatigue sets in and it, it, it's uh, for some people, it's just a little bit too much. So they're, they're mm. a lot of times better off maybe leaving one or two reps uh, still in the tank, as we like to say, mm. as opposed to going until there are zero reps in the tank. Mm. So the answer is it really depends on what your goals are. I think that kettlebells can be a very valuable tool for muscle building. Most people seem to get more out of treating it like a skill first, so mm. not training to failure, and rather uh, leaving their training session feeling invigorated, feeling mm. energized, mm. and feeling like they could just keep going if they really wanted to. 
And I think there is something equally from a medical point of view that I want to throw in there. Um, how many times have I um, heard stories of people who sit in front of me waiting for the surgery? Um, and, and I say, yeah, what did you do? Oh, I went to the gym, I did some free weights, and suddenly... <laughs> And that was the end of their shoulder, and they are sitting now for a show, uh, for a rotator cuff repair. Now, um, there is a lot to be said about that because often enough we don't don't treat our body over our lifespan, our health span, the way we should. So often enough there are long pauses that we do bugger all, and then now let's get back, yay! And there's actually yeah. something to be said for machines, machines which have a very only one way that things can go have safeties etc so i love your take on things when it comes to kettlebells which are free weights by definition so that you don't go to failure because that is when your technique gets really lousy and that's where you suddenly do things that are really stupid um yeah. and i think that is that it, i think there's a huge risk um for many let's say many people in my age group who are now saying okay come on this is not the end of my life i will get fit again um oh boy hey you know um what's i would your liken take? it to being i would liken it to being somewhat similar to investing you know um you're making an investment in your in your life in your health in mm. your abilities and you know I I don't really follow research super closely. Most of my focus is on, you know, what has been proven in the real world. And mm. that's not to say that the research has has no bearing on it, because it if it's done properly, it should be a much clearer reflection of, you know, uh, a repeatable event, let's say. Mm. But um, I I can say for sure from the the research that I I have seen. You can keep getting stronger and more muscular into your 70s, 80s. It really mm. doesn't matter because mm. your body mm. is still going to respond to whatever stimulus you give it. Now, the difference, of course, is that you're not going to build muscle as quickly and as easily as you might mm. if you were in your late teens or your early 20s and things of that nature. But uh, there's no question that you can continue to get better. The The real issue, though, is that many, I think this is the case maybe more for men than it is for women. Uh, my experience with training women has been that they come in all, most often with the intent on getting better at the activity. Whereas, so women, I, I always say it like this, is women generally want to improve themselves. Men want to prove themselves. So <laughs> it can be very difficult to rein that ego in and be like, okay, you're going to have to use a little bit lighter weights. You're going to have to stop a little bit short and so on and so forth. Uh, that is, uh, that's just the reality. And it's far better that they, you know, they come to me or they come to some other trainer uh, and, and, and take some advice as opposed to being like, I'll, I'll just do the workouts I did when I was 20. And they're now, you know, in their early forties and they're, you know, father of two to three kids and they don't sleep as well. And they haven't been eating very well. And they're not well hydrated. They don't move as well as they used to. And then they load up to do a bench press. And next thing you know, they've hurt their shoulder. They got to take several weeks off. Um, and the other thing is that many of them are following, uh, they're using exercises that are very good, but they're not necessarily using combinations of them that are going to be the most beneficial for them. Um, it, just to give you an example, I, do, I mean, you should see some of the exercises I do. Now, naturally, like sometimes, I, and I'm not saying everybody has to do this, but I like to do this and I, I try to make the time for it. If I can manage to do a second brief workout in the evening, I'll often do that. But what I'll do 
is not like a repeat of what I did earlier, but kind of some in-between stuff I didn't do before. So we talked about isolation exercises. You know, my main workout is almost always going to be some kind of compound exercise or a number of compound exercises. And then in the evening, you know, I might do some bodybuilding type stuff, like one, even just one set. I'll just do maybe one set of 10, let's say lateral raises, uh, something for the, uh, the, the back of the shoulders. I'll mm. do shoulder external rotation work for the rotator cuff. I'll do calf raises. I'll do things to kind of move my body in different ways than what I'm what I'm normally doing. And it's usually done within 10 to 15 minutes. So it's it's something mm. that doesn't take a lot of time, doesn't take a lot of energy. And one of the reasons that I do that is because I want to make sure that I am not uh, overdoing it on certain exercises and underdoing it on others, which is a hard concept for a lot of people to kind of <laughs> internalize uh, until they get hurt. Oh, and then please. Oh, exactly. But you see, the, you just need to go to the gym and actually just quietly sit there and see what young men do. And you see where they put the emphasis on stretching and their front is, yeah, and their yeah. back is, forget it. <laughs> that, exactly, exactly right. So there is no balance there. And you're actually learning how to do harm really to your body because you actually um, you're not activating all the muscles and you're actually... Uh, over uh, overstretch or over ah uh, you're creating imbalance you yeah. you're physically doing that and that is nobody likes that and you pay the yeah. price later on no two ways around yes, that yes sir i love what you say about the the shorter duration just the 10 reps um which is beautiful um we keep forgetting that our body actually craves activity, craves yeah. uh, doing something. Um, it is actually very powerful when you think about weight and when you think about management of diabetes, for example. Um, you're, uh, when you eat something, your sugar in the blood can go two ways, either in the muscle or into the liver and then build up as fat. Um, mm -hmm. So when your body will initially try to uh, immediately uh, fill the stores up in the muscle, if there is a need there, if there's no need, well, then okay, straight to the fat cells, basically. Yeah. Um, now you can actually tell your body, hey, hang on, um, we need something. So the only thing you need to do is two minutes of a compound exercise before you eat. So let that be, um, let it be some squats and, and stretches, something like that. Simple things where you open, uh, where you use some of your large muscle groups and suddenly the glucose transporters in the, the cell membranes open up and say, hey, shit, we need glucose. Come on, I want sugar, yeah. I want sugar. So very quickly, the same amount of food that you would have eaten one way or the other now goes actually into the muscle. Um, and less is being turned into fat. How cool is that? Two minutes. Two minutes is all you need to actually activate that thing. If you do two minutes of a compound movement uh, prior to any meal that you eat, well, is that really such a big investment? Uh, six minutes for free, free, free uh, uh, things. It could be as much as you not taking the lift going up to the canteen. Uh, you actually just walk up the bloody stairs, uh, yeah. and then whilst you're waiting there, just lean a little bit on the on the desk. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You've done Absolutely. a few push-ups. You know, easy things that you can do, um, and you're actually creating habits with that. And I think that is the cool thing. 
You don't have to wait for the one day. One day I will do something heroic that will then sort it all out. No, I love the, the process and the, the progress, the habit forming. I think that is the beautiful thing. And Absolutely. it puts a smile on my face when I actually achieve it. And when I am coming to that point where suddenly I realize, hey, hang on, I'm, I like that. And I'm actually looking forward to something where I would have previously thought, nah. That could be something like doing the weeding in your garden. If you have got a garden, who wants to weed? Who wants to be on his knees and stretch forward to pull out these weeds? Well, guess what you're bloody doing? You're doing push-ups there. So, yeah. okay, reframe what you're doing reframe your your activities in your day and before you blink you realize that you actually have done half an hour's worth of of activity uh mm -hmm. and guess what this will pay out this will build up certainly you know i i think a good way to look at it is that if you ever went to well we all went to school and had to study and prepare for tests and things like that and everybody at some point or another has cramped for a test and just tried to prepare at the last minute mm. and put into their short-term memory as much of the stuff that's going to need to be on the test. I yeah. see you laugh knowingly. You've been there like I have. I've done we, all have. we all have. We all have. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And, you know, realistically, when you're doing it, you're thinking, God, you know what? If I had just if done a little bit of reading every single day and a little bit of work every single day, I would be much more prepared. And, you know, the same thing holds true, really, for your fitness. It's like the more you time you spend sedentary, and then you think I'm going to make up for that with like a really intense workout. Yeah. You know, the real difference is that you're not actually doing much harm with the studying thing other than that you're not really learning anything. So it's kind of like a shame. It's like a waste of your time. But like our bodies have this tendency toward atrophy uh, or mm. or kind of reversal of whatever good circumstance we might uh, we might hope for. True. And that you really can't cram for a physical activity. Like I'll give you an example. Just yesterday, I so I take boxing lessons once a week, and I showed up, and my my boxing instructor normally will do like drills. We don't actually do all that much sparring. We do it periodically, but he said, you know, what, today we're going to do some sparring. We're going to do ten rounds, and uh, so it's ten two minute rounds with thirty seconds rest in between. And he's like, we're going to film it. We're just going to see how you do. And I was like, even if I'd wanted to, even if he had told me that yesterday, it wouldn't have been enough time to prepare myself. So whatever, however I perform is going to be reflective of what I have been doing in my own fitness training up to this point, barring, you know, the, the training sessions that I do with him, which of course, you know, I think is another element, but uh, lo and behold, you know, I got the whole 10 rounds and I had, uh, he had sparred somebody uh, not long before that. And so he was a bit more winded, but he said that he was very impressed with my conditioning. And nice. obviously, I think his I think his strategy and his technique and tactics were better than mine by a long shot. But uh, but nevertheless, at least on the health side of the equation uh, or the, the fitness side of the equation, we'll say I was yeah. more than prepared to just keep going and pushing the pace so that it wasn't like he was just completely taking advantage. I, I was able to really push back. And, um, you know, there, again, there's really no way you can prepare for that sort of a thing at the last minute. Like and the, the mistake that many people make is thinking, oh, I got six weeks to get in shape for this wedding. Okay, well, that's actually not that bad if all you've got to lose is maybe five pounds and just kind of pump up a little bit because you've mostly been doing the work along the way. And then you want to just kind of ramp things up so that you look extra good. 
that's not such a hard thing. But if you've been sedentary for 10 years and you know you you have a you've racked up a bunch of injuries and worse, you're gonna try to figure out the path on your own and you're like, I'm not gonna hire anybody to do it. Or you do say, I'm gonna hire somebody to do it, and then I'm gonna second guess everything he or she says, you know. Uh, that's also no good. So, but the thing is, is that you're, you'd be amazed at the kind of the amount of change that you can make in the course of a few months. And you would be extra amazed at how, how much of a change you can make over the course of a year. But you have to keep in mind that whether it's a few months or a year or more, every, all of that time is made up of a series of days. Hmm. And it's your choice what you do on, on the majority of those days, your body is going to reflect the choices that you make in terms of, you know, we eat, let's say three, four, five times a day. We, uh, the, when we're awake, uh, we have the option to take a break, you know, maybe do some push-ups, uh, maybe go for a walk uh, on, on your lunch hour, um, choose better foods mm-hmm. to eat, things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's really all these little choices that make a, a huge, huge difference. And the mistake is that a lot of people think that it's the big, massive decisions that are going to get them places. But there are really very few of those in in life in general. Most of it is a series of small choices that lead into habits, which which pick up a lot of momentum as time goes on. And I think people don't want to hear it because it's kind of like, it's sexier to say, you know, oh, I, I started doing this program and all of a sudden I lost 30 pounds in a month or, you know, whatever the case may be. They, they People want that kind of like crazy, incredible transformation. But the truly crazy and incredible transformations come from the, the, the path that is not fraught with danger or, you know, like an off ramp to go to your surgeon because you, you hurt your shoulder in the gym or whatever the case may be. It's the stuff that is that they know, like if you were to put a gun to their head, I, I like to call this the gun to the head test. And I say, you tell me what you need to do right now before, you know, in order to, to achieve your goal in such and such time or whatever, everybody could tell you exactly what they need to do. Like nobody's very few people don't know that they just need to start making better choices daily, but until they want to start making those better choices daily and they can't wait to start doing it because they can see that they're racking up, you know, some, some impressive changes. Um, it can be a hard sell. It definitely can be, but that's, that's the way forward. You gotta, you gotta make these small decisions every day. I would rephrase that. Uh, you have got the privilege of making these small decisions every day. You get to make these small choices. That's right. And this is beautiful. This is actually, this is your choice. This is your, your, um, your way forward. Your, if you dream about some, thing you want to be or someone you want to be um that's beautiful for that however you need to stop in the rat race you need to get out of your hamster wheel for a moment and actually just stop and actually think who do you want to be when you grow up and many of us don't do that many of us need a health scare or need a um something really major happening to their relationships and marriage uh breakdown or things like that before you finally get your act together and whilst that is a shame sometimes these things happen more often than not probably um and that's fine so now you are at this point you have got that 
that dark cloud over you, but that has the silver lining. You get to reinvent yourself. And now, therefore, you can actually choose what you want to do. Um, you choose that you have a trainer. So I love the, the fact that you pondered towards that, because um, why the hell would you want to reinvent the wheel every single time or try to figure out how to make fire when there is someone next to you who can show you 10 different ways without a match? Um, yeah. So you, might, you can speed up things a little bit. But how do you how do you get a good trainer? How do you assess a trainer? Um, because I certainly there are so many young people out there who are loving their physical activities. So they do a four month, six months course. They're now physical trainers. And well, you know, um, they might not be uh, so versed uh, is certainly in in helping someone in their middle age. So, you know, yeah. how do you assess a trainer? First, you have to interview them. I think the best thing to do is figure out what you're concerned about, what you don't want. Yeah, a lot of times it's easier for people to figure out what they do want by figuring out what they don't want first mm. and just kind of get that out of the way. Very often I'll ask, so if, if people reach out to me uh, and they ask like, hey, I want to do a consultation with you or I'm interested in doing coaching, mm. I send them a questionnaire first so that I can get an understanding of their background, you know, like, uh, what injuries do you have? What's your athletic mm -hmm. ability? What are your athletic mm -hmm. abilities? What are your goals? And it's uh, it's not uncommon for people on the goal side of things. And I try to make them as explicit as possible. Now, it's not there's nothing wrong with having general goals, but if you have explicit goals, usually it it, it clarifies things quite a bit. So somebody might say, "I want to get stronger." It's like, okay, well, technically speaking, it let's say you can only do five push-ups. If you can now do six, you're stronger. Is that mm -hmm. what your goal is? Is just to do Six push-ups instead of five? Hmm. No, I mean, you know, maybe like 10. Okay, well, now we're getting somewhere because things are a little bit more clarified. But the same thing is true when it comes to your health because the, the fact is that from what I have heard, the average trainer only lasts about 18 to 24 months. That's exactly it. Want, yeah, would you want to hide? So the question you have to ask yourself is, Okay, would you want to hire a, uh, a any professional who had that little experience? Now, maybe it actually doesn't matter because maybe there are certain professions where it's like, okay, you know, this will be sufficient. Uh, but <laughs> it, when your health is on the line, uh, you would probably rather go to a doctor or a dentist or a physical therapist who has a lot more, uh, a lot more time and experience under his or her belt so than true. very little. So Everybody true. has to start somewhere, so. You, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, depending on what your your goals are or what this person is capable of that they can't that they can't match. But most people who become personal trainers have a tendency to be hobbyists. They like going to the gym. They like working out. You know, they they go to the gym with their buddies, and they don't really understand how to train people who are older or people who just want to you know look a little bit better naked. They're not training for a Mister Universe or Mr. Olympia or something of these, uh, something along these lines. So you have to ask, okay, what are you going to do to make sure that my safety remains paramount in my training? Um, what are you going to do to make sure that my previous injuries are not going to be, uh, are not going to be made worse? Uh, are you going to ask hmm. me about these these injuries ahead of time. You're going to ask me about my background. Are you going to give me a personalized training protocol? Or is it the same thing that you give to everybody else? So you really want to grill them because, you know, and, and the idea to do it, the idea behind doing it is not to be a pain in the butt, but rather 
you have to look out for number one because it's so rare for a, a personal trainer not to have your best interest in mind. But at the same time, it's still so common for them to uh, put you down the wrong path because they're giving you something that is not actually individualized for your goals. That doesn't mean they have to make up a bunch of silly exercises, but mm-hmm. it does mean that if it if it hurts your shoulder to do shoulder presses, then maybe you should find something that doesn't hurt the shoulder. You know, maybe there's a different kind of press that they can do. Mm-hmm. Or if uh, if they have bad posture because they've sit they've sat all day eight hours a day, 10, 12 hours a day for 15 mm. years, pressing something overhead is probably not a very good idea, mm. you know? Or if they can't even do a single body weight row at a pretty generous angle, maybe hooking them up to a pull-up bar with rubber bands to do pull-ups is completely superfluous. So they, you need to know that your trainer is not going to just put you through the same gauntlet they would put anybody else through, but that they're going to find things that are going to be good for you and uh, the the most important thing is you're not going to hurt you. Even before mm-hmm. talking about the kind of results that you get, because it's very possible to add dysfunction on top of fitness and get strong or really good cardio, but then you get jacked up knees, bad shoulders, injured lower back. So it, the first thing is n- do no harm is what we say as as personal trainers. Obviously, same thing with the Hippocratic Oath. <laughs> the, any doctor knows number one do no harm so that's Absolutely. Ex- our, we have that in common um Perfect. but from there if somebody's like okay i really want to train in the gym i really want to train with you or whatever the case may be but i can only come in two days a week well giving them a program that is meant for four days a week isn't going to do them any good mm-hmm. so how do you alter the exercises or the the exercise prescriptions in such a way that they're going to maximize the two days a week that they have with mm-hmm. you how about what they do outside the gym? Okay, you can only come in twice. So let's only work on strength training. The cardio will be up to you, but all you have to do is just make sure that you're getting in some more walking during the day. So let's look at your step counter on your phone. Okay, it yes. says you get in 5,000 steps a day. Could we maybe see if we can get that to seven? Maybe park a little further away at the grocery store, you know, or uh, when you go to work. Maybe do like a 10-minute walk uh, before you go to on your lunch break. So finding ways that they can maximize the time that they're not with you as well as the time that they are with you is a sign of somebody who at a minimum is is not only has your best interest in mind, but also wants to try to find excuses for you to succeed rather than pointing out all the ways that you could fail. That's beautifully said, man. Ah, you have got some nuggets of information there. I love it. Absolutely Thank love you. it. I need to steal some of them. Okay. So steal it all. all <laughs> <That's yours. cool. laughs> oh, wow. Alex, I mean, uh, tell me if, if, I mean, I'm, I'm infused about kettlebells and, and about, about just your passion that is shining through. Uh, tell me, where can people find you? What, where, how can you help others to grow and transform? I would say that the best source, I mean, I'm on most of the social media networks with the exception of, like, I don't do TikTok or Snapchat. I mean, that's like for kids as far as I'm concerned. Um, but obviously, I've got a YouTube, I've got a Facebook, uh, Instagram. But the, probably the best source would be uh, if, you, if you go to 9minutechallenge.com, you can get my 9-Minute Kettlebell and Bodyweight Challenge, which is designed around... We talked about compound movements earlier. It's designed around compound movements that fit into one of what I think is really the most important movement pattern of all, which is your gait pattern or your walking pattern. 
is really mm-hmm. essential to what it means to be a human is to be able to walk upright. It's like the mm-hmm. movement that I think is most unique to humanity versus, mm-hmm. uh, you know, any any other creature on the face of the planet. And learning how to use these these gait pattern movements, so stuff like crawling on the ground, uh, what we call loaded carries, you just pick up a kettlebell and walk with it. These are things that take about 30 seconds to learn. They are very gentle on the body. They can be integrated into a current training regimen. So let's say you are already working with a trainer mm-hmm. or you already have a, an exercise routine that you really like and you don't want to stop doing mm-hmm. it. The nine-minute challenge is designed to act as kind of like a, like a booster to it. So it's like, I like to re- refer to it as like a NOS booster. You put in your car, now it goes faster. I don't know if that analogy works because I'm not very mechanically inclined, but people get the idea. <laughs> and uh, it's free too. So if you go to 9minuteChallenge.com, uh, just get your own free copy. And uh, you can put in either nine, like the number nine, or N-I-N-E. I, sometime back, I was on a podcast and I, I expressly said that it was nine with the number nine. And then I looked in the show notes and he had written N-I-N-E minutechallenge.com. So I went out and bought that and then I re- redirected it. So <laughs> technically, either of those will work. But that, Good that would be the best. And you know, the other thing too, is if you're a reader and you, and you, like, uh, you like to dig into books, I've got a couple of books that I've written. One of them is called the No BS Kettlebell and Bodyweight Kickstart. So for anybody who's checking that out, I, I made the cover as, as interesting as possible. This is not my, this was my- I was about to say. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, but I didn't draw this. I'm I'm not that artistically inclined. (laughs) Uh, And anybody who is really interested in kettlebells, this is a little bit more of, I would say, an intermediate book. The No BS one is great for beginners. Like if you've never lifted a kettlebell before or you've never really done body weight training before, that's the one to start with. But I have another one that I wrote uh, earlier this year called Tamers of the Lost Ark. And it is all about- taming the arc or tame or controlling the path of a kettlebell and ballistic movements so that you can improve your strength, your conditioning, yeah. your power, your resilience. But uh, again, if you're just starting out, the no BS kettlebell and bodyweight kickstart is great. But, uh, and again, that's available on Amazon. You just go on Amazon and you'll be able to find it. Otherwise the probably the best option for most people will definitely be the nine minute challenge. Cause again, it's free. It's, it's immediate. You can just go pick it up and, uh, and start diving in immediately and uh, and reap the rewards therein. Perfect. Guys, look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast because all of uh, Alex's uh, details are down there. Whilst you're down there, press the like and the subscribe button and actually tell us, maybe write a comment down there and actually say, hey, this was really cool. I really like that. Or what a bullshit. I I listen to everything. Uh, We want to grow. The best way to grow is by actually challenging our beliefs and challenging our our the myths and all the things that are floating up there. But most importantly, challenge the Schweinehund who says, oh, I don't have time. Oh, it's too expensive. Oh, it's whatever excuse comes out. Um, you have the time. It is an investment in you, into the new you, and it doesn't take hours and hours. It takes two minutes, five minutes, or in this case, maybe nine minutes. Now, how cool would that be to actually go out there and actually change yourself? Go out there and work for uh, work for yourself, work on yourself, and create that new you. How cool is that? Alex, you're an 
Absolutely. Alex, you're an amazing man. Thank you so Thank much you. for for your passion, for your for your insights, for your for your beautiful plain language explaining some quite com uh, complex and abstract concepts where there's so much misinformation and disinformation and half information out there. So you did an exceptional job there. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. And thank you very much for having me on the show. It's been a blast. Cool. You guys out there live with passion. Bye. I never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Turn around.